My daughter Grace and I have a love for movies. That's one of our things that we love to do together. Um, thankfully, Gracie has good taste in movies, and so we watch a lot of good ones. We go to the movies every now and then. We see the new action movies. We see the adventure movies, and she even likes my old favorites. So every now and then, we'll sit down and we'll watch. We watched the Indiana Jones movies, and uh, she loved Indiana Jones. We watched Star Wars together, and she loves Star Wars. One day I said, you have to watch Goonies. And so we, uh, we spent an afternoon watching Goonies. We, I realized one day she had never seen Princess Bride, so we had to watch The Princess Bride. She, she loves movies. It's great to share those adventures with her. She really gets into them. So this past summer, we learned about a new series that was on Netflix, uh, and the series was called Stranger Things. Have any of you seen Stranger Things? Oh, look, some people are very shy about putting their hand up. Come on, if you've seen Stranger Things, show me a hand. Let me know you're with me. Okay, some of you have been it. Some of you have seen it. Stranger Things is, is a great show. It's a great little series that they have on Netflix. It's set in 1983 in a small town in Indiana. Not too much different from our small town in Illinois, you know? And, and it takes place around the, the lives of these, of these young kids when some things start happening in this small town. I guess you would say some stranger things start happening in this small town. And so much of the series has that look and feel of the movies that I grew up with. You can watch parts of it and you go, wow, that's, that's like Goonies. Or you watch parts of it like, that's like E.T. or that's like this movie, that's like this movie. And so it, it, it was amazing to watch that and, and kind of get caught up in the nostalgia. But at the same time, it was fresh and new to Gracie. And we devoured that series. We binge-watched it over just a few days and long after we finished it, we still talk about it. We go back and we'll, we'll compare notes or we'll find some fan theory that's been written and we'll talk about that fan theory and we'll discuss it. And somehow that little series, Stranger Things, bridged our generations. And I think in part it did it because all of us have a love of stories. We love stories. And a good number of us love stories the weird stories. And so when, when you open your Bibles, uh, you discover that there are some really, really weird stories tucked in the pages of the Word of God. And there are few stories in the Bible that are as weird as the story of King Saul and the witch, or as your Bible probably calls her, the, the medium of Endor. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 28 today. Verses 1 through 20. If you're using the Bibles there in the pews, it's on page 250. If you've got an iPhone or an Android phone or some other device with you, you can pull up the Bible app and you can follow along with the texts that we're going to be looking at today. I've always thought this story was great, and I've always read it as just a weird story. I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Halloween story of the Bible. You got everything here. You got a witch. You've got a you've got a ghost. You've got a, an insane, mad, deranged king in this story. And so I always just took it as something that was just kind of bizarre and weird and strange. But as I've had to dig through it over the last couple of weeks, I've come to see this story as something much more. This is a story of desperation, and it is a story of failure. 
It's a story of how far we will sink when we abandon our faith. And in that regard, this could be our story. We're going to begin just with the first seven verses of 1 Samuel chapter 28 to just kind of set the stage. The first seven verses tell us what the setting is, what's going on in that present in that time, and, and why we're going to move into this very weird story. So chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, in those days the Philistines gathered their forces to war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. Achish was the leader of the army of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel had died. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul, Saul is the king, he had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. And the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all of Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and he, his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. What's happening in this story? Saul, the king of Israel, needs direction. He needs instructions. He needs advice. And God is not speaking to him. And so he goes to a medium. Now, four times in the Law of Moses, four times in those first five books of the Bible, in the Law of Moses, four times it expressly forbids seeking the counsel of mediums, witches, necromancers. A necromancer is just, that word always accompanies the word medium. It means someone who practices the dark arts, the occult practices. Four times in the Bible, in the, in the Law of Moses, it expressly forbids that, just prohibits it. Probably the most famous one, if you, if you watch scary movies at all, um, Exodus 22, verse 18, in the, old, in the Old King James says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. You know, and they'll, they'll quote that in, in the old movies every now and then. Four times it's forbidden. And then Saul, Saul the king of Israel, goes and consults a medium. He knows it's wrong. Beyond that, he himself has cast all of the mediums out of the land. He's kicked them all out. He doesn't want them in Israel. But beyond that, at one time in Saul's life, he prophesied. Early on in, in, in his career, before he became king, Saul was a prophet. And, and it was said, is Saul also among the prophets? He heard the voice of God. He spoke the Word of God. And here he is, doing something that is clearly forbidden. What has gone wrong with this man? What has gone so wrong for this man that he has moved this far away from God? And my question is, could we find ourselves following down the same path? Could we find ourselves making the same mistakes? Now the first mistake that we see here in Saul's life is one that we can make as well. And the mistake is this. Fear. Fear becomes a motivator. 
That's the first mistake we see with Saul. Fear becomes a motivator. If you watch scary movies, you know that fear makes you do stupid things, right? You, you think about the movies where you've got all the teenagers and they're in the creepy old abandoned house, right? Or maybe it's Scooby-Doo and the guys, I don't know. But you know that all the, all the teenagers are there in the creepy house and they're all staying together. They're all huddled together in the middle of the house and everything's fine. Everything is just fine. They're, 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 they're okay. And they get scared. And one of them says, let's split up. And it's at that point that things just go completely wrong. Fear makes us do stupid things. And in real life, fear makes us do stupid things too. Fear keeps us from taking steps of independence. Fear keeps us from moving on in our lives. It holds us back. Fear keeps us in bad relationships for far too long. Fear prolongs abuse and neglect. And fear keeps us from seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. Now you have to pay attention to the setup of this story to understand why Saul is so desperate. In, in verse 3, we're told that Samuel is dead. Samuel was the prophet, Samuel was the priest, Samuel was a judge, he was the first great unifying leader of Israel, and he is also the one who appointed Saul to be king over Israel. Samuel's the one who advised Saul, but Samuel is now dead, and for the first time in his, in his reign, Saul is alone. He's facing a powerful enemy. And if you notice in verses 1 and 2, the story doesn't begin with Saul, the story actually begins with David. Because you see, David is poised to become king. David is going to take over the kingdom. But first, Saul and his sons have to meet their demise. Saul is afraid. His friend and advisor is dead. And he's afraid. There is a huge army coming against him. And he is afraid. God is silent. And he is afraid. There's a reason why the Bible prohibits consulting occult practices. There is a reason why the Bible prohibits consulting mediums and necromancers or people that practice those arts. It's not because they get it right, okay? It's not because they get stuff right. It's because they take our attention off of God. Because if, if we are God's people, we go to Him for answers. We go to Him to find out what we, what we need to know and what we need to do. We want answers, we go to God and we accept His answers whether we like them or not. And that means that sometimes we accept God's silence. And we realize we can't hear God's leading. The problem isn't with Him. He hasn't moved. He hasn't left. The problem is with us. We have to admit, far too often, fear becomes a motivator. We act because we're afraid. We react because we're afraid. Fear becomes a motivator. John says in, in 1 John chapter 4, right after John tells us that God is love. You remember that, right? God is love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, John writes this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It's just a word that doesn't belong in the Christian vocabulary. 
And yet, I hear a lot of Christians tell me what they're afraid of. People tell me all the time. I, I, I have conversations. People tell me what they're afraid of. I see posts on Facebook and Christians are telling me what they're, what they're afraid of. A lot of people are afraid about the election this year. I read the posts. Some people are afraid of what's going to happen if he gets in. Some people are afraid of what's going to happen if, if she gets in. But they, they talk about their, their fears. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. You know, it, if you're afraid, have you really understood God yet? Have you really understood God's love yet? You know, whatever happens on election day, whatever happens November 8th, on November 9th, Jesus is still Lord, right? Right? Can you get an amen out of that? There you go. November 9th, Jesus is still Lord. You know, our, our Savior doesn't come from Washington. He comes from heaven. It's not about the donkey. It's not about the elephant. It's about the lamb, right? Right? And as long as you keep your attention on Him, and as long as you understand His perfect love, there is no fear from Washington or New York or Baghdad or anywhere else that fear can come from. Saul missed that. Saul took his attention off of God and it made him do something so stupid. You know, in the scary movies, whenever someone's afraid, they end up hiding. You know, they get afraid and they'll go hide in the closet. Or they get afraid and they'll hide under the bed. And that's a big mistake. You know why? That's where the monster is. You know, the monster's under the bed. But they get afraid and so they, they hide. And, and that's what we see in Saul also. Fear causes him to hide. Fear causes us to hide. Fear is what led to Saul's hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, hypocrisy causes us to, to hide from ourselves and from others. I want to continue the story with verse 8. 1 Samuel chapter 28, continuing on in verse 8. So Saul, what did Saul do? Saul disguised himself and he put on other garments. He's not wearing the, the garments of a king, is he? He's not proud of who he is. He's not proud of, of his position. He's not proud of what God has made of him. He hides and he puts on other garments. And he went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman. When did they go to her? By night. You know, under the cover of darkness. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whoever, whomever I shall ask you. And the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. And why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her. He swore to her by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Hypocrite's a word that we toss around every now and then. Actually, it's more likely to get tossed at us than we are to use it. Other people seem to like to use it of us. You know the word hypocrite was not originally an insult? 
I don't know that it was an insult until Jesus started using it as, a, as an insult. It wasn't an insult. Hypocrite was a job. You could be paid to be a hypocrite. You know, it, it was a job. Hypocrite was a word for an actor. In those old Greek plays, you've seen the masks before, but the, in the Greek plays, the Greek tragedies, you would wear a mask. And that mask would reflect what character you were. And, and you maybe had to wear several different masks to play several different characters. That mask would show your emotions, whether it be a smile or a frown. That mask would show your motivation. And so the word hypocrite literally means one who is under a mask. And that's how we see Saul here. And you read, his, you read the progression, you see Saul descend further and further into hypocrisy. In verse 3, he puts the mediums out of the land. He, he takes decisive action and he expels them from Israel. And then in verse 7, when God doesn't answer him, what does he do? He says, find me a medium so I can inquire of her. So in verse 8, what does he do? He disguises himself and he goes to see her. When does he go to see her? By night so that no one will know that he's doing this. And then in verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. He's exposed for who he really is. Why did Saul have to hide his identity? Why did he disguise himself? Well, first of all, he, he knew what he was doing was wrong. But more than that, he knew... What he was doing went against everything that he stood for. His fear, his fear of what he was up against, his fear of facing his enemies alone, his fear of rejection from God and from his people led him to hide who he really was. Now, you and I probably have not consulted a, a witch to call up the spirits of our dead friends. I, I hope you haven't. But I bet one way or another, we've been down that path of fear and we've had to hide ourselves, maybe even from ourselves. And while we may have hidden our actions, we may have even hidden our attitudes from other people, we've not hidden ourselves from God. God has seen through the mask. God has seen through the disguise. And even here with Saul, God, with, with Saul here, God is silent, but He's not absent. Don't ever confuse the silence of God with absence. Don't ever confuse His silence with His absence. He is not absent. He is very aware. And that also points to the mistake that Saul made, a mistake that we can also make. You see, Saul, Saul didn't consult a medium because God was absent. He consulted the medium because he had been disobedient. And that's one that we can't miss for our own lives also. Our disobedience. Our disobedience deafens us to God's leading. You know the amazing thing about this story is that it actually worked. The, the woman actually calls up the ghost of, of Samuel. I, I've read all kinds of things where preachers try to, try to make this make sense. Well, it wasn't really a ghost. You know, it, It's pretty clear that it was the ghost of Samuel. You know, All those times we say that you know, that stuff's not real. This time apparently it was. And the amazing thing is it even surprises the woman. You know, she, she's in shock when she realizes it actually worked. And I think she was, you know, she was one of those that was used to rapping on a table or shaking a curtain or she's got someone behind her, you know, ooh, you know, doing one of those things. And, you know, somehow she's used to fooling people, but this time it actually 
works. And Samuel speaks. And we pick up in verse 15. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed... That's how I hear it in my head. I don't know about you guys. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me. God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned, you, has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as He spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce anger against Amalek. Saul captured the king Amalek, and he was supposed to kill all of Amalek's people. He was supposed to kill all of his livestock. Saul kept the livestock and kept the women for himself. He did not obey God. You did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow, tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. Let's do a quick review. Why did Saul come to the medium even though it was forbidden? If you go back to verse 6, it says, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Saul consulted the medium because he could not get an answer out of God. But why wouldn't God answer him? Look at verse 18. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out His fierce anger or his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you today. Let me repeat something that I said about a year ago. About a year ago, we did a series on prayer. And uh, let me repeat something I said then. Prayer, seeking the Lord, it's not about the right words. You know what I mean? It's not about saying the right words. There are some people who think it's about the right words. Some people think it's about getting the right intensity in their voice. I say it with the right passion, Steve. You know, if I, if I get the intensity in there and I, I say the words just right and I throw in some these and some thous and I, you know, I do it all just right. I sound sincere. I knit my brow just right. And if I remember to say the words in Jesus' name, Amen, then God has to answer my prayer. That's not how it works. Prayer is not about the right words. Prayer is about the right relationship. Saul had disobeyed and God would not answer him. I use this Scripture from time to time. It's just a nice reminder. Husbands, wives, it works for both of us. 1 Peter actually works for everyone. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Works the other way too, wives. You know, we have to live with one another in an understanding way. The point is, if our relationships with each other are not right, 
then our relationship with God cannot be right. If we're not treating each other honestly and lovingly and openly, then our prayers will be hindered and God will be silent. And in those times, you don't even have to ask, God, where have you gone? Why will you not answer me? (laughs) Because He doesn't change. He doesn't slumber or sleep. He doesn't leave. Rather, you have to look at yourself and say, what am I doing to hinder this relationship? What have I allowed in my life? What disobedience have I allowed in my life that is hindering this relationship? Saul got an answer. It just wasn't the answer he wanted. Verse 19, Samuel tells him, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. Then verse 20, you see his reaction. Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. But what if he had obeyed God in the beginning? What if... What if he had obeyed God in the beginning? How much different would his story be? What if he had listened to God? What if he had obeyed God? What if he had followed and did what he knew God wanted? What he knew was the right thing to do? He would have heard God clearly, but he didn't. There's something here for us. Obedience now. Obedience now provides confidence later. Obedience now. It's not always the easy thing to do. It's, it's seldom the convenient thing to do, but it's always the right thing to do. And if we're, if we're obedient to God in the good times, then when difficulty comes, and when we have trouble hearing His voice, we can know that He still is with us. We can know that He still loves us, and He loves us perfectly. And, when we, and we can know that even in those times of silence, there's no need to fear. There's no need to feel like we're alone takes two chapters to get to the next day. Two more chapters later, Saul and his sons are are dead. And the kingdom goes to David. The the book of Chronicles in your Bible is kind of an abbreviated version of what we see in 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 and 14 sums up the whole story this way. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. We call David a a man after what? A man after God's own heart, right? That's what we call King David. Does that mean King David was perfect? (laughs) No. Does that mean King David never screwed up? No, absolutely not. You know, and, and the Bible is very clear about da- the times that David had his moments of disobedience. David was disobedient. David made mistakes, and David suffered for those mistakes. His sons suffered for those mistakes. But when David was confronted with his sin, he repented. He mourned, and he turned back and trusted God. There are times when we're all afraid. There are times when we've had our moments of hypocrisy 
and those have been very, very real in our lives. There's times when we've been disobedient and we've not always heard God's leading clearly. What we do in those moments is what makes the difference. Is what makes the difference between a Saul and a David, between crushing defeat and amazing grace. Obedience now provides confidence later. Let's give Him our obedience. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we have to admit to You there have been too many times and we've been afraid. We're ashamed to admit it, but the, the source of our fear has been that we haven't always loved You perfectly. We haven't always loved You enough to trust You either in the times that You've spoken clearly or in those times when You've been silent. And so today we pledge to lay our fear aside and in doing so, we lay aside everything that goes with us, with it, our hypocrisy and our disobedience. We lay our lives before You in trust and in love and full obedience of who You call us to be. Lord, let our lives be testimonies that You are a God who loves and leads His people. We ask this to Your glory. And in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.